Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. At this time, let's go ahead and continue our worship by studying the Word of God. So once again, let's bow our hearts. Father, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who indwells each and every believer. And we do pray for a fresh filling of your spirit to empower us for your work. Help us, Lord, to honor you in all that we do say and think. We pray, Father, that, that once again you'll be glorified. I pray that I would decrease and you increase. I pray for the gift of teaching. And may you help me, Lord, to rightly divide your word of truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so we are in Mark chapter 9. And so on Wednesday nights, of course, we are going through the gospel according to Mark. And then on Sundays, Pastor Jim is going through the book of Acts, uh, 9 a.m., 11 a.m. service. And at 1 p.m., we have a Spanish service. Uh, Those of you who are new or visiting and Pastor Al oversees that, and they are going through the book of Hebrews. So right now, if you have time, if you want to swipe to it, click to it, open it up. If you have a paper Bible, Mark chapter 9, and we're going to cover verses 1 through 29, and the title of tonight's message is Coming Down from the Mountain. Coming Down from the Mountain. Now, when we think of our past studies We come to remember that Peter had confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus told Peter how blessed he was that the father revealed that to him. And then Jesus would go on to tell his disciples about his upcoming suffering, rejection by the Jewish religious leaders, his death. He also went on to tell them about his resurrection. And then Jesus went ahead and he spoke to the crowd of people along with his disciples and he told them about the cost of being a disciple of his or a follower of his. And the cost includes denying themselves and taking up their cross and following him. And so the way we explain denying yourself is firing yourself as the boss of your own life. And of course, when we talk about the cross, anytime Jesus mentions the cross, it's talking about nothing else other than death. And so as disciples, we're to take up our cross on a daily basis, die to self on a daily basis, but also be prepared to literally and physically die for the name of Jesus Christ. And then, of course, he said, just and follow me, just do it, follow me. And so he told the crowd and his disciples about the cost of being his followers. And in his talk with them, Jesus mentioned that he's going to come in the glory of the Father with the holy angels. One day that's going to take place. That's called his second coming. But of course, we know that before the second coming, there has to be a rapture when he comes for the church. Comes for the church and then he comes back with the saints. 
the second coming. So he's going to come in glory one day. And that's something that he mentioned to them in Mark chapter 8, verse 38. And so now we pick up at verse 1 of Mark 9, and it says, And he said to them, Jesus is still talking to his disciples and that crowd of people. And he says, Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste or experience death till they see the kingdom of God presented with power. Matthew 16, 28 adds, till they see the son of man coming in his kingdom. So now we know that people living during Jesus's uh, first coming had already died. So what could Jesus have meant when he said this, that there's some standing here who will not die until they see the kingdom of God present with power? We're not in the millennial kingdom right now. So what is he talking about? And this is where the following narrative is going to help us as we see it in context. Because it goes on in verse 2. Now after six days, Luke 9 says about eight days after these sayings. So in Luke with the about eight days phrase, he's given an approximation. But technically this is six days later. After these sayings, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and it says that he led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves, and they went up there by the way to pray, and Jesus was transfigured. He was changed in form before them, and as Jesus prayed, his face shone like the sun, and that tells us That information in Matthew 17, his face was showing like the sun. It was altered and his clothes became as white as the light. And back in Mark 9, 3, it says his clothes became shining exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. So nobody on earth who washes clothes, who bleaches clothes can get their clothes as white as Jesus's clothing were on that day. Face is shining. Clothes are extremely white. And some believe that this mountain that Jesus went up to and he took Peter, James, and John on. Some believe that this mountain is Mount Hermon. And it will make sense because Jesus had been in the region or the area of Caesarea Philippi. And it's a very high mountain. And this transfiguration This change in form of Jesus that took place on the mountain is is probably what Jesus was referring to in verse 1. How that some standing here will not see death. How how they will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. Because what they saw there as, as Jesus was there and his glory was shining... He was there in his splendor. What they saw was a preview of coming attractions. And so what they saw, in other words, was a preview of the glory of the king in his kingdom when he's going to come back. So first they heard that they needed to deny themselves. They needed to die daily, be prepared to die literally. They, they heard that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, and that, yes, he's going to die, but, but now he's going to show them 
that, hey, the glory comes after that. And I'm going to give you a little taste of this glory. And so they got a preview of coming attractions of the king and all his glory in the coming kingdom. And so what's happening here is that his glory, his splendor or his infinite beauty came to the surface because at first it was veiled by his humanity. So what happened was he he pulled the flesh back. He pulled back the humanity. And what we saw was this change in form that took place from the inside. And may we as believers have the new us in Christ come to the surface, just like Jesus's glory came to the surface on this Mount of Transfiguration. In verse 4 in Mark 9, it says, And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. I want you to real quick turn to Luke chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 31 and 32 because we're going to fill in some blanks. Because it tells us what, what Moses and Elijah was talking to Jesus about. And so in Luke 9.31, it says that they, Elijah and Moses, spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and those with him, they were heavy with sleep. And, and when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as they were parting from Jesus, as Elijah and, and Moses were parting from Jesus, Mark 9, 5 says this. It says, then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi or teacher, it is good for us to be here and let us make three tabernacles. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. The great prophet, because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. So, of course, in this example, as we see Moses and Elijah gathered together there with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, we know that Moses represents the law and Elijah represents the prophet. And so together, pretty much, you have the Old Testament and then you have Jesus there. In his glory, you have him there as the fulfillment of both the law and the prophets on that Mount of Transfiguration. And it's interesting here that Peter spoke up and he was well within his character, just spoke up. And and he said what he said because the scriptures tell us he didn't know what to say. And may we take a lesson from Peter if that if we don't know what to say, how about this? Don't say anything. Some of us, we don't, we don't know exactly what to say. We, we're trying to think through our words as people talking. We're not even listening to people because we're, we're trying too hard to find a response before they even finish saying what they have to say. And nothing comes to mind, but yet and still we say something anyway and somebody's feelings get hurt and now we have to apologize for that so if we don't know what to say don't say anything let's learn that lesson from from peter in verses seven and eight it says and a cloud came and overshadowed them and by the way this was a bright cloud as matthew 17 tells us and and then a voice came out of the cloud saying this is my beloved son 
And again, Matthew 17, it says, in whom I am well pleased. And I like what it says there in Mark 9, 7. It says, hear him. And if you still got your fingers there in your Bibles, turn to Matthew 17. We're going to look at verses 6 and 7, or you can jot it down if you don't have time to turn there. Because it says here that when the disciples heard it, they heard the voice, hear him. They fell on their faces and they were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, arise and do not be afraid. And then back in Mark 9, suddenly in verse 8, when, when they looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. Peter, James, and John, they only saw Jesus now. First, they saw Moses and Elijah with them. They were afraid when they heard that voice. But now it's just them and Jesus. Now, this bright cloud, by the way, is a visible reminder of the presence of God. And if you've been keeping up with your studies or your reading in the Old Testament, you would understand that this bright cloud representing the presence of God is nothing new. Oh, we saw it in the tabernacle, which is the temporary structure of the temple. Then we saw it in the temple. That cloud of, that represented God's glory filled the temple to the point where the priest could not even minister in there. And now we see this bright cloud in the New Testament overshadowing Peter, James, and John on this Mount of Transfiguration. And again here, we hear the Father, God the Father speaking audibly and giving once again his approval of Jesus. Because if you remember in Mark chapter 1, the father gave his approval of Jesus when Jesus was baptized in water by John the Baptist. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. But that part that I like that the father said once again, just circling back around, hear him. And it's just a reminder to us that whatever Jesus says is way more important than what anybody else has to say. Whatever Jesus says is way more important than all of the voices and words that crowd our minds. And so if we're wondering on what to do, how to think, what to say, go back to the scriptures. What did Jesus say? The father says, hear him. And so Peter, instead of you talking... You don't have anything to say. You're afraid, so you're just going to blab it. And instead of any of us just blabbing it, how about this? How about we just be quiet and hear Jesus? Listen to the instructions of the Father. All the great prophets that have lived and they have passed on and they are in glory with God right now. The Moses is the Elijah, the Elisha, Joshua. All of those have passed on now. And when they were alive, and Samuel, for example, when they were alive, yes, there was a time to hear them. But now Jesus is on the scene, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Hear him. Hear what Jesus has to say. 
When they looked around, they saw no one else but Jesus. They saw no one else but him. And it just reminds me that when the dust settles, when the dust settles, Jesus will be the last man standing, so to speak. All of these false prophets, all of these people who claim to be Christ, all of these people who claim to know who the real God is, all of these cult leaders, so to speak, and world leaders who are speaking out of turn. Or when it's all said and done, their words are going to pass away. They are going to pass away. But Jesus, just like in our study tonight, he will be the last man standing. And as the scriptures tell us in Philippians 2, verses 10 and 11, that at his name, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. You see, while every knee is bound, bowing, guess what? Jesus will still be standing. When the dust settles, his word is going to stand. He is going to stand. And every knee is going to bow. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That doesn't mean that every single person is going to be saved. That doesn't mean that, that demons, fallen angels are going to be given a, a, a second lease at life to get back into heaven. That doesn't mean that. It means that whether you believer or a demon or those who die without Christ, everybody's going to have to acknowledge whether you like it or not that Jesus Christ is Lord. Be the last man standing. In verse 9, it says, now as they came down from the mountain, back in Mark chapter 9, he commanded them, Peter, James, and John, that they should tell no one the things that they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And so they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. And Peter, by the way, remembered this, and, and later on he would share it, in 2 Peter 1, verses 16 through 18, because Peter says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We saw his majestic splendor, in other words. For Jesus received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent Glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And he says this, and we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So, so Peter kept it hush, hush, just like Jesus wanted him to until, of course, he had risen from the dead. And so we see this here in Second Peter 1 verses 16 through 18. And so these men in verse 11, Peter, James, and John asked Jesus saying, why do the scribes, they're teachers of the law, by the way, why do they say that Elijah must first come before the Messiah comes? Why do they say that? Because we come to understand that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. We saw you transfigured. We got a preview of coming attractions. We saw you in your glory. So why do people say that Elijah must first come before you come, before the Messiah comes? 
Because what they were getting at is, we, we didn't see Elijah yet. Stuff seems to be out of order. And then Jesus answered and told them in, in Mark 9, 12, Indeed, Elijah is coming first, and he restores all things. And how is it written concerning the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? That he be treated, in other words, as if he were nothing. But I say to you that Elijah has also come, and they did to him whatever they wished, as it is written of him. And I just love how Matthew 17, 13 fills in the blank because it tells us who Jesus is referring to there. Because it says, then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. So since it's so clear that Jesus is Christ, they, they were wondering about that prophecy. Isn't Elijah supposed to come before you as a forerunner? Preparing the way for you? Of course, Jesus said, yes, he's coming. He's going to come and restore all things. But then he says this. At the same time, Elijah has come, has already come. And so what we see here is what we would call a double reference in prophecy. A double reference in prophecy. Because the first Elijah, and I put that in quotes, who came during Jesus' first coming was John the Baptist. And it doesn't mean that Elijah from the Old Testament was reincarnated as John the Baptist. No, it just means that, that John the Baptist ministered in the spirit and power of Elijah, as it tells us in Luke 1.17. But then, literally, Elijah will come. As well, So here's the double reference. So now he still will come now, this time before Jesus' second coming, before he comes back with the saints. And you can look at that in Malachi chapter 4. And in fact, I believe that Elijah will be one of the two witnesses in the first half of the tribulation period, where he'll witness for 1,260 days, which is three and a half years, the first part of the tribulation. And so, yes, he is going to come before the second coming of Christ. But not only that, Jesus also made sure that, hey, if you're going to refer to Scripture about Elijah, make sure you refer to Scripture about me. Because it is also written about me that the Messiah is going to suffer. So what are you guys going to do about that? That means that there has to be a first coming and a second coming. First coming, he comes as a lamb. He comes as a lamb. To die for the sins of the world, the, the second coming. Of course, he comes as the lion of the tribe of Judah, the conquering king. He's coming in his glory to rule and reign on this earth. And so what we see there as Jesus brings up scripture about him, as they brought up scripture about what the scribe said about Elijah, we, we get a lesson there for us. And the lesson there for us is to make sure that we read all of Scripture so that we'll have a full view, a comprehensive view of, of everything in the Bible, of all doctrine, of all prophecy. As we move on to verse 14, it says, And when he came to the other disciples, so these are the other nine disciples who were at the bottom of the mountain, 
he saw a great multitude around them and there were scribes disputing with them, fighting with them, arguing with them. And immediately when they saw Jesus, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, they greeted Jesus. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd, a man came to him and kneeled down to him. And he answered and he said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. In other words, a a demon, an evil spirit has taken over my son and it prevents him from talking. Matthew 17, 5 says, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers severely. He has seizures. He suffers severely. And wherever this evil spirit, this demon seizes him or takes possession of him, it throws my son down and he foams at the mouth and he gnashes his teeth grinds his teeth and he becomes rigid so i spoke to your followers your disciples jesus that they should cast out this demon out of my son but they could not do it they could not do it so you can hear the desperation in his voice but if you were to read luke chapter 9 verse 38 you can see a little further into this man's desperation because He is his only child and he's possessed by a demon. This man was desperate. And so Jesus in verse 19 answered him and said, oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you or put up with you? And he says, bring him to me. Then they brought the boy to Jesus. And and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him. It made him shake violently. And he fell to the ground and he wallowed. He rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And so Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often, the father continues, he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, Jesus, have compassion on us and help us. Desperation. That's what we see. In verse 23, Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help My unbelief. Help me, in other words, to overcome my unbelief. Help my belief to become more complete, in other words. And so here we see that Jesus brings up an important point about faith. We see that faith unlocks the door for God to do amazing things in and through our lives and in and through our situations. That faith unlocks the door. And so there's some things that God wills to do, but he also wills for us to participate through faith. And then, of course, there's some things that God is going to do regardless of what we do. Jesus is going to come back no matter what, whether we pray hard or what, whether we have faith or not. Jesus is coming back. But this was a situation that God wanted this man to participate in. Via 
his faith. And I like his cry, his plea. I do believe, but Lord, help my unbelief. And the question I want to pose to you tonight is, in what area do you need to believe God more? In what area are you lacking belief? Yeah, you trust in God. You, you read the Bible. You pray. You, you believe that he's a prayer answering God. But maybe there's a, a little hole in your faith there and you need God to, to help your belief to become more complete, to help my unbelief. So what is that area in your life? Because whatever that area, area is, you can cry out to the Lord just like this man did in his desperation. And God is able to fill that need. He's able to help your unbelief in whatever area you're lacking in. And when Jesus, in verse 25 of Mark 9, saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to the spirit, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out and convulsed him greatly and came out of him, and he became as one dead, so that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. I love that verse. And I love that verse. Verse 27. Because there's many of us in here. We look like we're down and out. We're, we're at the point where people think we're, we're dead in our situations. That we're knocked out cold in our situations. But lo and behold, Jesus picks us up. Jesus has picked many of us up. When it looked like when we were gone and, and in the gutter. Like we would never make a comeback. But yet and still, we're here. There's some marriages that were on the rock that God had reached down and he lifted those couples up in that marriage and you're still here. Other people were writing you off. They were writing your marriage off. Or maybe that child who has strayed away from the faith. They strayed away from the biblical teachings that you poured into them from the moment they were a young child. And they strayed now. And, and maybe some people from your family or you yourself had given up on them. They looked like they were down and out. They looked like they were in the gutter or dead, so to speak. And, and lo and behold, Jesus reached down and picked them up just like he did with this young man who looked like he was dead. Have any of us been there? Are any of us there right now? Maybe that's how you feel right now. Continue to trust in him. Continue to look to him. And our Lord and Savior is going to reach down and he's going to pick you up. And when Jesus had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast this demon out? And so we see here something in Matthew 1720 that's not in Mark chapter 9. So if you want to turn there, go ahead and if you don't have time, write it down. Matthew 17, 20 says that Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, that's why you couldn't cast out this demon. For surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. And back in Mark 9, 29, so Jesus said to them. He adds this information. 
this kind, this kind of demon can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. And so the unbelief of the disciples played a part in their inability to cast out this demon. Jesus told them they just needed faith as a mustard seed. The mustard seed, by the way, was the smallest seed known to Jesus' hearers at the time. It was probably the smallest seed the Jewish farmers sowed in their gardens. And so what's going on here is that these disciples had power available to them already, first and foremost. Want to throw that out there because remember in in Mark chapter 6 verse 7, it says that Jesus gave them power over unclean spirits. But according to Matthew 17, 20, all they needed was just a little bit of faith. As small as a mustard seed and, and that would open up the door for God to work his mighty power in this situation. But then that other point that Jesus brings up about why they were not successful. And something that could have helped them cast out this demon. Is that he said this kind comes out by prayer and fasting. Now in general fasting is a voluntary abstinence from food. And sometimes liquid. And fasting by the way is not required for Christians but Jesus If you read the scriptures, he assumed that believers, that his followers would fast. See, fasting is another privilege that God has given us to partake in. And in fasting for a certain period of time, we don't feed our body so we can focus more on God and the things of God. And what it shows is that we are serious about him. That we're serious about seeking him and we're serious about getting direction from him. And if fasting, by the way, is done properly and with the right motive, it could help us to have a closer or deeper fellowship with God, with our father in heaven. I like how one Bible teacher puts it. In regard to prayer and fasting, he says prayer attaches us. To God and fasting detaches us from the flesh. And so as we consider what we've read here, as we considered what we studied thus far, we'll be hard pressed to ignore that mountaintop experience that was followed by the mess at the bottom of the mountain. Jesus, Peter, James, and John, they, they had a great experience. The mountaintop faced with junk once they came down. And, and sometimes we, those of us in this building, those of you who are watching right now, we, we may have a mountaintop experience as well. And we may be on a spiritual high. Maybe some of you are on a spiritual high right now. Because that spiritual high, that mountaintop experience could, 
could result from seeing people come to Christ. Maybe God used you to witness to somebody today that you've been praying for, praying for an opportunity to share the gospel with them. Oh, and God gave you that opportunity and that person got saved. So right now you're here and you're excited. You're ready to do some more witnessing. You're having that mountaintop experience. For some people, the mountaintop experience is seeing a prayer answered. You've been praying for something so long and now it's come to pass. And so that's your mountaintop experience. Or maybe there's some type of breakthrough in your spiritual walk. There's a struggle you've been having, but now you have a breakthrough. You're able to live victoriously over that sin. You're able to get past it. And you're on the mountaintop right now. Or some of you have really connected with God during some type of Bible study. Maybe a home fellowship or or maybe a Bible study with your spouse or children or folks at work on your break time. And right now you're on the spiritual high. You're on the mountaintop right now. So maybe that's, that's some of you or you had a blessed time at a church service. Maybe this past Sunday as Pastor Jim was used by God to preach a great message. And maybe some of you are still on that mountaintop. You're still on that spiritual high. But as you came down from that mountain, as you got back to normal life, to that normal life, that regular life, that routine life of being a mom or dad or an employee or for some of you, an owner of your business, as you went back to that life, came coming down from the mountain, maybe you found that, oh, after that great service or after that great Bible study, or after that great witnessing opportunity that God gave me, now things are just a mess. I was on a spiritual high. I was on a mountaintop, but all of a sudden, I'm brought down low. All of a sudden, somebody said something to me that discouraged me. Maybe some of you have been there. Or maybe you're right there right now, but I just want to give you a heads up based on our lesson tonight. And based on experience that that after a mountaintop experience, there's usually a demon or some type of issue at the bottom as we go back to our everyday lives. But the question that I want to throw out there to you is, are you prepared? Are you prepared for the mess at the bottom of the mountain? When you come down from that mountaintop experience, I know Some people been in a situation where they went to a marriage retreat and it was a wonderful time. They learned so many things about their spouse. Things are going great. And then as they come down from the mountain, the the very next day, they probably have the worst argument they've ever had. The enemy just stepped in at that open door that was left cracked open. But are we prepared for experiences like that? For the junk, the mess at the bottom of the mountain. You see, as we learn from tonight's lesson, we can be prepared for the valley experience, for the bottom of the mountain experience by number one, having faith. And this is not just faith for salvation, but this is a day by day type of faith. As it tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, it says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. 
So this is a faith that's not just good for salvation. Oh, now I am a child of God. Now I become a citizen of heaven. Now I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. I have a new nature now. I am indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So it goes from that faith that allows all those things to happen that I just mentioned. Now we got to live by faith on a daily basis. To live victoriously over sin. To have success and experience blessings in the ministry that he has given to us. For we walk by faith and not by sight. And so faith should be a part of our everyday lifestyle. Oh yeah, we trust him to provide. We trust him to protect us. We trust him to equip us for whatever it is he wants us to do. We, we trust him to give us power over sin. So we walk by faith, not by sight. So that's number one that tells us, the first point that tells us how to be prepared, and that's faith. But the second thing, of course, is praying. That is praying consistently. And sometimes we couple that with fasting as you feel led by the Holy Spirit as our worship team comes to the stage. See, in verse 29, I think maybe Jesus exposed something. I think he exposed something about the devotional life of those nine disciples who were left at the bottom of the mountain. There's a hint there. Because what he tells them is that this kind, this demon can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. So the hint that I take from there. Is that they weren't staying in constant fellowship with God the Father. That they were slacking in their devotional time. And it's not saying that you must fast. It's not a requirement. But from time to time you may want to consider it and couple that with fasting. And fasting and prayer suggest that we're staying in that constant fellowship with him. So when tough times arise, so when the mountaintop experience is over and we come down to the bottom of the mountain, that regular everyday life, the mess at the bottom of the mountain, when that arise, then guess what? We'll be ready because we've been praying, because we've been in the word, because we've been fasting. We've been in constant communion, in constant communion with our heavenly father. There's always that possibility of that demon at the bottom of the mountain. I remember coming on staff in 2017. My wife and I had already prayed about and worked out a budget because Pastor Jim, he, he asked me to. He said, you know, pray about coming on staff and pray with your wife and send me a budget. And so I prayed about it. I looked at it backwards and forwards and prayed about it so much. And God confirmed it. He confirmed it to my wife. And I was taking so long. My wife was just like, would you just say yes? So thank God for my wife. I was being over analytical. And so we got all that taken care of. And praise God, I I came on staff officially in January of 2017. And so that was a mountaintop experience. That was such a blessing. It is still such a blessing. But 
But it was probably a couple months later that we had that bottom of the mountain experience because my wife got laid off. And, and within that budget that we worked out, that her income was included. But praise God, he, he worked it out. And so it's the same way for many of you. You have that mountaintop experience or you at least had it. And so you can say amen to what I've shared so far, but maybe some of you are just riding high right now, spiritually speaking. Have to clarify that. But I just want to encourage you to stay prepared. Keep praying. If the Lord leads you to fast, fast. Stay in the word of God. Keep trusting in him for your day-to-day life. And when you get to that point of contention, and when you come face to face with that demon or that tough situation at the bottom of the mountain, I want you to do what Peter, James, and John did. They let Jesus handle it. Do you notice that? That when they came down from the mountain, Jesus, Peter, James, and John, do you notice that Peter, James, and John are not mentioned in this situation with that demon. Why is that? Because when they came from the mountaintop experience, they had the same God they spent time with on a mountain. They had the same God with them in the valley. And what they did was let Jesus handle it. And so that's what I want to encourage you with tonight. I want to leave you with that word tonight. Stay prepared. Pray fast. Keep trusting in God day to day. But when you come face to face with that demon or those demons, when you come face to face with your issues, let Jesus handle it. Keep your name out of it. Just like Peter, James, and John's name are out of that situation in the second half of our study tonight. That God at the mountaintop is that same God who can handle our situations in that low spot in our lives. Amen? Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. Thank you. You're so good, Lord, and you're so faithful. Thank you for the understanding you have given to us. Lord, we do not claim that we understand what we understand on our own. Lord, far be it from us, Lord, to take credit from you. But we do thank you for understanding. We do thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit. We do thank you that you're a God who's able to strengthen our faith. We do thank you that you're a God that we enjoy so much on that mountaintop. And we thank you that you're the same God who's with us at the bottom of the mountain. Oh, Father, I pray over my brothers and sisters in Christ right now who are on that mountaintop experience. They're on that spiritual high right now. 
Oh, I just pray that you would cover them, that you would cover their families from demons or negative situations that may come against them when they go back to the workforce, when they go back to school, when they go back to their communities. And Father, if there's anyone who's not a believer right now, I pray, Lord, that you remove the spiritual blinders and draw them to Jesus. That you would just stir their hearts, Lord. Prick their hearts. That they'll reach out to us and ask for prayer and ask more about Jesus. We love you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Bless our worship team. Bless those in the sound booth. Bless those who made it here in spite of. Bless those who are being a blessing to the children right now, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for coming out tonight. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your fellowship. My prayer is that the Lord bless you and make sure you make it home safely. That he'll use you mightily this week. And if anybody needs prayer, we'll be here willing and ready to pray with you. Amen. And if you're able to stand, please do. And let's belt out this song. Considering all that we've heard about Jesus and how good our God is. He's deserving of our praise. So let's just belt this song out with our whole heart. Amen. God bless you and we love you. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.